listening to The Cheap Seats. Uh, I am your host, Drew Nicholson. Uh, we have another fantastic show today for y'all. Uh, a lot of Braves talk, a little bit Tennessee football information, uh, but mostly, primarily, this show is going to be talking about the NFL draft that is happening tonight. I am joined... Oh, whatever. Okay, Cleveland as well. I am joined by, of course, like he didn't couldn't even wait for the introduction. No, sh- no surprise at all. Whatever there. By Daniel. Dan, how's it going? Yeah, it's going. It's going well. It's going well. The pubs are open in the UK. Um, the weather could be better. Um, but yeah, look forward to the draft. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited about this draft as well. Um, I'm excited to see what the Titans can really uh, who they'll pick up. You know, um, even despite last year's draft being a complete disaster for us, I'm, we're in a pretty good situation as an organization. So it has me fairly excited right now. But before we talk about that, uh, let's jump in first with a little bit of baseball talk. Uh, your Atlanta Braves are red hot right now, uh, scoring 15 runs in the last two games. Uh, we're coming off a 10-0 win over the Chicago Cubs and won the four-game series yesterday in their 10-0 win. Uh, the Braves scored six runs in their first two innings, hit five homers in their win, including one for Huascar Yunoa, the starting pitcher, in the fourth inning. And he also managed to throw nine strikeouts as well to earn his second win of the season. Uh, Dan, you got to admit, man, the Braves are back. We're back. I told you this was going to happen. Uh, there's no stopping us now. I, I, I don't think I, I, I didn't disagree with you. Uh, I mean, we both have the same reservations that, were, that was the bullpen. But the, the offense has been so amazing. Your boy, Ronald Acuna, Acuna Jr., is probably the best. Clark Mike Trout, who's also off to an unbelievable start, is probably the best player in the game. Um, and yes, I mean, the, the, the Braves are fun to watch. They always were going to be. Um, and then, you know what? They were playing the We were talking about the Cubs last time about mm-hmm. how awful their offense was. But they, they've been scoring a lot of runs recently before going into that series. Uh, and I think they scored a few, a few runs against the Braves, but they they were able to, they were able to like, say, sweep them. So, um, so yeah, Braves are absolutely great. No, I mean, uh, you know. The one of the things that we were struggling the most and, you know, we've had a little bit of problems with in the last, you know, few series was our relief bullpen. Uh, we still haven't been able to find answers. But there, if there's one thing that I think a lot of us can agree on that watch baseball or cheer for the Braves, uh, the starting pitching for the Braves is is pretty solid. I mean, talking about even Ian Anderson yesterday, he only, you know, threw, you know, only allowed one hit. He's allowed one hit in his last three starts, you know. Um, I mean, it's just we got to, like, continue to get more consistency in the relief bullpen. And I think we're trending towards that direction. Uh, we're now first place in our division. Um, yeah. and I think once we find that recipe that we have, I mean, I think this team is going to cruise their way to another division title. I do have to say one thing. I do have to point out one embarrassment for Atlanta Braves uh, fans. Freddie Freeman getting struck out by Anthony Rizzo. That was pretty hilarious. I mean, in all things considering, the guy just needed a triple just to, you know, complete the cycle, was four for four heading into that, you know, that at bat. And then Anthony Rizzo, out of all people, is the one that struck him out. It was uh, it was pretty comical. I mean, it was good to see, you know, the Cubs just laugh off an embarrassing 10-0 loss like that. So, you know, it was all fun. It was all fun. But uh, speaking of baseball, Dan, do you uh, care to give us a little Cleveland Indians uh 
Little update. Oh, well, for a disappointing homestand. Um, they went three and six on a nine, nine game homestand. Um, we managed to completely uh, turn the Yankees' season around. They were, they were five and ten, worst record in the AL, uh, and they won three out of four games. You know, hit a ton of home runs. Um, they recovered a little bit against Minnesota, though. You know, winning the series against a division rival, um, but got absolutely shellacked ten to two. Uh, last night, 26 home runs. Home runs have been a real bugbear for this Indians pitching. Um, and Logan Allen, the, the stats, he, he was just out, he was just uh, option to Columbus. His last three starts, right? Last mm-hmm. three starts, he pitched a total of 5.2 innings over three starts. Gave up 11 runs and six home runs. Oh my um, god! So he's been god awful. The back end of the bullpens, uh, the back end of the rotations actually struggled. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got Shea Bieber at the front, um, Savali and Plezak, who are, you know, top of the rotation guys, you know, really, uh, really solid guys, all came up the same 2016 draft class. And Tristan McKenzie, um, he's another top prospect, although his problem has been throwing strikes, so he's not able to go much deeper than five innings. Um, so the bullpens have to take on a, a, a pretty big role um, in trying to uh, clean up those games. And then Logan Allen, he's just not given the team a chance to win in his last three outings. And so hopefully whoever they uh, bring up to replace him, whether it's Cal, Cal Quantrill from the bullpen uh, to be used as a starter or Sam Henchies, um, a young minor leaguer who's uh, played most of his career as a starter. Um, hopefully they can, uh, they can plug that gap until uh, Logan Allen's able to figure out what it is. Because if the Indians are going to have any success this season, it's going to be off the back of that top rotation. No, absolutely. Um, speaking of the, near the end of the baseball talk here we have on the show today, uh, Braves got a series against the Blue Jays coming this weekend. Um, I think this is, I mean, it should be a good one. Uh, Blue Jays have been a little solid. Uh, we have another game tonight against the against the Cubs, which I for I don't see for any reason why not. We can't win that one. So, um, who the uh, who the Indians got this weekend, uh, Dan? So we kick off uh, a series uh, in Chicago against the White Sox, uh, another important um, division rivalry. Where I think we're we're right. I think about a game separates us and the White Sox, mm-hmm. um, and we're about what three three games back at Kansas City. So that's going to be an important series. Um, they usually score a lot of runs um, against the Indians. You know they've got. A, Unbelievable uh, lineup all coming together with uh, with Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, um, and the rest. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tough series. The the Indians really need to find more hitting outside of Jose Ramirez and Framil Reyes. Framil Reyes especially had a great has a great, had a great start to the season. So they need to be able to um, they need to be able to match match the White Sox swing for swing. But luckily, it's the top of the rotation in that series. So we'll have Bieber, uh, Plesac, and Sabah. Uh, going in those three games, so uh, so I fancy us to win that series. What about the Braves? Um, you know, one of the things the one th- one of the things I'm like uh, happy about is that Freddie Freeman and Nazi Albies are back, being more consistent with their bats. Um, Freeman, you know, batting four for five yesterday, uh, having a couple home runs in this series as well. Albies is getting more consistency at base. Um, I'm a little nervous about uh, I'm a little nervous about this, you know, Toronto uh, matchup because we've seen for some reason we always like struggle against these like AL East teams, whether if it's 
the Blue Jays, whether if it's the Yankees. I mean, like last week we struggled against the Yankees as well, you know. But um, it will be interesting to see. Uh, I think Max Fried's going to probably start on uh, Friday, but we got Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton. They're going to so the bottom half of our. Uh, of our rotation, but I mean, they're still solid, you know, solid pitchers. So, like, I still, I don't see any reason why not we can't win this series. Well, I mean, the, 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 Blue, the Blue Jays. Yeah, you know, I saw, I, I saw a stat. I think um, they have the lowest. You see, the lowest ERA at home or the lowest um, team ERA in the AL. I can't, I can't remember which it is. Uh, are, you, are you in Toronto for that series? I mean, I don't. You know, like. I don't know, like if they'll be able to stop though Zuna or like Acuna though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I mean, they probably haven't faced a lineup like Atlanta. Exactly. I mean, like I would. I mean, I would honestly argue like the batting lineup that the Braves have. It's one of the best, if not the best, in all of baseball. Like, as yeah. far as like talent and like you know, players are able to like hit home runs and get on base. I mean, we have, I believe we have the third best team like batting average or on base percentage in all of baseball. So. You know, um, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's definitely a very important series before we play uh, Washington and then Philadelphia again. So if we can, you know, manage to win the series and maybe get like a couple game, uh, you know, couple games uh, lead over Washington and Philadelphia, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Um, now we just talked about baseball. Now we're going to shift over to football. But we're going to talk a little bit about college football first now. Uh, the Vols just had their orange and white game last Saturday. Uh, I was very fired up about it personally. This was the first time I got to see Josh Heupel's offense in person. Um, there was a couple of Well, I mean, we still lost. We still lost. I mean, <laughs> we still lost. <laughs> but, I mean, it was entertaining, though. There was a couple things that, like, that stood out for me when I watched this game is that – this offense under Josh Heupel is explosive. Like it is like the complete polar opposite of Jeremy Pruitt's and Jim Chaney's offense that we've like had the last three years. No, no, but just just listen to these stats, okay? Just listen to these okay, stats. Okay. The offense had 821 yards of total offense and 39 first downs. Mm-hmm. 573 of those yards were passing yards. Mm-hmm. Among the three quarterbacks, Harrison Bailey, Brian Maurer, and Hinton Hooker. Uh, I'm not saying this team's going to be good, right? I'm not saying we're going to like go win seven or eight games. I'm still firm. We're going to go five and seven, maybe six and six. But this team is going to be eerily similar, kind of like to like what Ole Miss was last year, where they have an explosive offense. They throw it down the field. They're going to score 40, 45 points, you know, five points a game, but they're not going to stop anybody on defense. And that's like that's like what his whole entire philosophy has been as a coach. It's just just throw the ball 40, 50, 60 times a game, just throw it 35, 40 yard, you know, long deep passes and just try to score in three plays. Like and you know, like it's it's effective when it works, but for me, like I I want that change because I've been so used of seeing Garantano like being under center and throwing it 15 yards over his wide receiver or us running the ball at third and 13 with a halfback draw. And like, we're not going to see that anymore. There's always going to be five or six wideouts out there on the field, like, you know, going, doing long vertical routes. And that's like what, one of the things that like I took away from this game, um, 
Another thing I took away is that Harrison Bailey is our best option at quarterback for Tennessee right now. Um, he engineered four touchdown drives through 12 for 16 and 260 yards and two touchdowns, including a 73-yard dime to uh, start off the game. Um, I was a little hesitant about him because I got to see him play when we played Florida uh, in Meeland last year, and one of the things he couldn't do was to throw a ball longer than 45 yards, but I, I'm like just more convinced it's just because we had the worst coaching staff in college football that was coaching him because he's now able to throw a ball 50, 60, 70 yards like, you know, down the field. And he's looking like the five-star that we all thought he was going to be when he was coming out of high school a couple of years ago. Um, another thing, this defense has got awful. I mean, this defense might be the worst defense I've ever seen. Um, I know like we're missing some guys like Jeremy Banks and a couple corners and all that stuff and have two linebackers that are in the portal with – Crouch just recently committed to Michigan State, but the lack of depth on this defense and the linebacker spot in the secondary is like beyond concerning because this offense is one of those things where it's like they're only going to be on the field for like 30 seconds. Like they're either going to go three and out or they're going to score. Like they don't like they don't drain the clock. They don't like have long, lengthy, you know, tiring like offensive drives. So, like, the defense is going to be playing far more often than the offense will, the entire under this type of, like, system that Heifel has. And, but the whole entire thing out of this is that at least this season is going to be fun to watch, even if we go five and seven and, you know, lose to Vanderbilt or Kentucky or whomever. Like, at least, like, it's going to be fun and, like, it's going to be exciting to watch, unlike the last three years under Jeremy Pruitt. So, I'm a little excited. I mean, it was good. It was different. Um, but, you know, I'm, it's just, it's happy to see a different, you know, type of philosophy under like what we've had the last three years, uh, see like something innovative. So it's very similar to kind of like how like Mike Leach's offenses at Mississippi state and Washington state, you know? All right. Well, I, I, I hope that they give you some, that they give you some joy. It's not, it sounds like, it sounds like the offense is primed to, to, to at least make games entertaining, keep things close before the, the defense opens the floodgates and, uh, and, you, and, you, and you all get beat. But um, I, don't, I don't know enough about the state of t- uh, the state of Tennessee football right now with with how many players you've lost in transfer portal, etc. And, uh, and the penalties that are going to be coming uh, through, you know, from the NCAA after the investigations. Right. But, um, if you, 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 you know you know more about SEC football and Tennessee football than, than I'll ever know. Um, so if you think that there's that there's some good quality in, in watching Tennessee football, then um, I hope I hope for your sake, uh, you know, that they bring you a little bit of joy, you know, you know, and a few wins. No, I mean, I mean, I think like this, like I think a lot of people have realized, like you know. We're going to be screwed over by this like whole entire civil investigation. Like, I think we most of us know like we're not going to be. We're going to have like a two or three year bowl ban. But it's just like you know we're going to have growing pains. But at least the one thing that will be exciting with this type of system now is that it'll just at least be fun to watch. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. The, like the thing, like, and like that's, and you know, like that, there's a reason why you don't see teams that run like the I formation anymore, or they run the ball 30, 40 times a game because it doesn't work. Like you have to, like you have to throw the ball down the field. Like it's just, that's just how college football is today. And so, <laughs> on, that college, on the college football and, and Tennessee topic, um, can you uh, let us know what? 
Ohio State can expect to get from uh, from Henry Toa Toa, the former five-star linebacker, who's uh, who's likely going to be uh, committing to Ohio State for the transfer portal. <sighs> well, this one hurts. Like this one hurts a lot because. Toa Toa has been like one of my favorite players in Tennessee in the last 10 years or so. But he's a great linebacker. Um, he's he's quick. He can find holes over there and, you know, fill them up and, you know, really put pressure on a quarterback. Um, he's great, you know, wrapping up. Um, and he's a huge threat, like, within, like, the first five or ten yards. The only, like, thing I have against him is that he's a bit small and he's not great, like, in pass coverage. Like, that's one thing that killed him last year, like, and one of the things that he regressed on. But as far as, like, trying to stop a run up down the middle or, you know, within, like, five or ten yards of trying to cover, like, a slant, he can do good. But if you're expecting him to, like, you know, cover a post route or, like, go down the field, you know, and, like, try to cover 20 or 30 yards, it's no chance. Like, he's just... And that's that's something the Buckeyes need. They I mean, had one of the worst uh, pass defenses last season, um, but they were they were a bit not thin, but inexperienced. The linebacker losing four seniors to the draft um, uh, in in, in twenty twenty one. So um, it, obviously Henry Toto, your former five star, your great great athlete, great player, is is a great addition to the team. But the fact that he does lack in the pass coverage skills. Um, doesn't help the Buckeyes in an area where they they need well they the one help. the one thing I will say is like he never got the proper coaching that he needed uh, to develop that part of his game. Uh, we had Brian Niedermeyer as our linebackers coach last year, and just to give you. Uh, a little bit of an idea. Uh, Brian Niedermeyer never coached linebackers in his life last year, uh, ever. Uh, he was only our recruiting coordinator. And then we threw him in there along with Shelton Felton. And they were both two experienced guys that really didn't know, like, what they were doing. And that's why, like, our entire linebacker core and really our defense, like, regressed as much as they did uh, from the year prior. Um, I mean, I, you know, like, I hate Ohio State. I hate them with passion. Um, you know, I, I wish they would, you know, go to hell. But they are, I mean, they're, they're one of the top four college football programs in the country. And they got a fantastic coaching staff. And I know, like, he'll get the right coaching that he needs to develop that part of his game. Yeah. And Al Washington's I, a great coach. Um, Al, Al Washington's the linebacker coach at uh, Buckeyes, and he, he did great, great work with Baron Browning and Tim mm-hmm. Holland. You know, guys, guys who weren't the most gifted linebackers um, coming out of high school, but um, who, who were really instrumental in, the, in, the, in that front seven. So, um, so yeah, I think Al Washington can can, can coach Toa Toa up and, and hopefully make him a more complete, well-rounded linebacker. No, I mean, I think Washington did a great job. I mean, he was in the running for the Tennessee job, and we, yeah, you know, at, at the time we wanted him, and looking back, I'm kind of glad we didn't. But, like, I think, yeah, I mean, I think he'll be a great fit for Ohio State, and I think he's going to be a starter, and, you know, he'll probably play one year for the Buckeyes, but, like, I'm pretty convinced that he's going to be in the NFL draft come next year. So, um, we're talking about a little bit of Big Ten talk uh, with Henry T going to Ohio State. The Vols picked up a commitment last weekend. Uh, former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton. Um, he played mostly. <laughs> he mostly played backup. 
he mostly played backup quarterback, you know, for the Wolverines. But uh, in his career, in his three years that he's played, that he was at Michigan, he threw five touchdowns and six interceptions and about over 1,800 yards. Uh, not great, but he did throw over 1,000 yards last year. Um, do you know anything about Joe Milton uh, being a Big Ten guy? And if you do, like, what are some things that you, that you know about him? Well, I mean, he, he, he didn't really play against Ohio State. I think he, think he threw like two passes uh, in his career against Ohio State. So I never, I never watched him um, closely in a game. Um, I did watch him against Wisconsin, um, where he was absolutely—I mean, he was terrible. Uh, but Wisconsin did have a do have a great defense. You know, he, he completed 42 percent of his passes for 98 yards uh, and three picks. Um, and it's kind of the same story when you look at decent teams that he's played against. I mean, the only decent team that he's actually performed well against was Minnesota, where you know he completed sixty-eight percent of his passes, you know, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, but like you said, it's, I mean, it's a small sample size, and you don't want to be too unfair, even if he is a Michigan quarterback. You don't want to be too unfair to a guy who's either coming in late, late in games, or you know, isn't really starting many games, isn't able to get into a rhythm, and is and is playing in uh, you know, top competition in the in the Big Ten. Um, so looking at it, I wouldn't expect him to be cracking the start, the, you know, the starting job at, even at Tennessee. Um, but he, you know, he's a serviceable backup. You know, if you know if a guy needs to take a couple of plays, if your starting quarterback needs to take a couple of plays off because he, you know, suffers a bad hit, or if you know if he has a concussion late in the game, and you know, Joe Milton's got to finish it up. You know, he'll at least be able to move the ball. Um, you know, he is liable to throw a pick. Um, he's a bit reckless, a bit inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, he's a serviceable backup. He's, he's about what you expect from a backup quarterback. But don't expect any miracles. From- no, nah, so I mean, from from what of like from the film that I've watched of him, I watched him play against uh, Indiana last year, right? And one of the things that I noticed is that he's got a good arm, like you know, like he's he's gifted as a quarterback, but his decision making is. Well, I mean, it, it's on the level of Jared Garantano. It's just awful. Like it's just, it's just, it's just terrible. Like I mean, like he throws, like most of his interceptions that he threw were like primarily towards guys that were like you know two, you know, that were covered by two or three you know backs. You know what I mean? And so, but he's, uh, I mean, it's it's weird. Like there's not really a definitive answer yet, at quarterback. Like I mean, Harrison Bailey looked like he was the best option, but. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that said that was the best performance he's had in all of spring practice. So, like, at least with Joe Milton is that he brings in that type of experience of playing, you know, playing in the Big Ten, uh, you know, playing against bruising defenses like, you know, the Big Ten usually produces. And, you know, that could go a long way. And he's a guy that, like, you know, that was recruited by Josh, Josh Heupel to go to UCF. And, you know, he played a similar type of system at his high school in Florida. And so maybe with this type of system, maybe he would flourish more. I mean, I don't know. Like, he's a mobile quarterback. He's definitely athletic. There's no denying that. But uh, maybe there's some things that Heupel could tweak him and potentially be our starting quarterback uh, come yeah, September. I mean, at least it gives, it gives a bit more competition um, at the quarterback position at Tennessee. Maybe pushes some other, guy, other guys' game up. You know, because you know you're bringing in a, a former. Was he? he was a former five star, wasn't he, Drew Millen? Yeah, He was a former four star. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, if anything, it increases the competition um, and, and gives Tennessee and, and Hypo another 
option and if Eiffel can do a better job than, than Harbour did with Joe Milton then um, then you never know maybe maybe he will develop into the starting QB yeah I don't think I, don't see it. I mean we'll see I like if there's one thing that Heupel has been able to do it's uh, he's been able to develop great quarterbacks uh, you can just ask Drew Locke and uh, McKenzie Milton who yeah. with Locke being at the Brown, or Broncos and Milton now looking like to be a starting quarterback for Florida State um, segment two of the show uh, you know if you're tuning in tune in uh NFL draft is tonight. Um, all of us football fans have been waiting for this. This is like one of the very few highlights of the springtime. Uh, kicks off in Cleveland at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, really weird that they're having the draft in Cleveland. I find that really bizarre. Um, I don't know why they're doing that, but you know, I'm like used to it like being. Well, I'm used to it like being like in New York. So like, I don't like this idea of them having like the draft like in other cities. Like even when they had it in Nashville, like as cool as it was, it was just weird, you know. But anyway, they're having it in Cleveland tonight. Maybe this is a thing the NFL is doing is like having it in other cities every year. I don't know. But besides that point, there's been a bit of controversy the last few months surrounding the quarterback prospects and who is the best quarterback in the draft. Dan, what are your thoughts on that? And why do you think, for the love of God, that Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the draft? Right. Okay. Let's start off with the indefensible, unfair level of scrutiny that Justin Fields has had in the past few weeks. Oh, God. It's a, I mean, everything has been, seems to be torn apart by media and so-called experts and, uh, and whoever, you know, whether it's his work ethic, his maturity, his whatever. I, I, just, I just don't get it. Um, you've seen, everybody, you've seen his product on the field and you can see it, you can see it in the stats. I mean, 68% completion percentage for his uh, for, for his college career. That's better than Justin uh, than Trevor Lawrence at 66%. 9.2 yards per attempt better than Lawrence 8.9. 178 passer efficiency rating better than Lawrence at 164. You know he has a 200 passer rate passer efficiency rating when he's in the opponent's half better than well on a palm it's slightly better than Lawrence. 78% completion percentage on passes 20 plus yards better than everyone. In the, every QB in the draft, he also has 17 touchdowns on passes 30 plus yards, which again is better than every QB in the, uh, available in the draft. And then you look at his performance against good teams; it gets even better. You know, against Cincinnati, 80% completion percentage, 181 rating, four TDs. Clemson, 70, 70% completion rating, 173 rating, 70 TDs. Sorry, seven TDs. Um, against Penn State, 78% completion, 189 ratings. Yeah, Penn State was really great last at, year. But then you, look at Trevor, then you look at Trevor Lawrence against good teams. You know, against UNC, 60%, okay, 60% percentage, 128 passer rating. You know, Texas A&M, 145 passer rating. I mean, you know, these are, these are significantly lower than his career average. Against Notre Dame, 161. And... You can just see from the, from the comparison that Fields ups, he plays even better against uh, against better opposition, whereas, whereas Trevor Lawrence he just kind of coasts a little bit. And I guess he can because it's usually a blowout and he's out of the game. The same with Fields, the same can be said for Fields, I guess. And it's usually a blowout and he's out of the game, you know, at the half. But I just don't understand why there's this consensus that Trevor Lawrence is by far and away the best prospect, and then it's everyone else. And why now? And even more mystifying is that Justin Fields is dropping below Zach Wilson and even Trey Lance. Trey Lance, he's played one season 
at North Dakota State. And he's getting all this hype. I don't, I don't buy into that hype at all. Um, Justin Fields, if he's not the number one overall, he's definitely the second best quarterback. And I don't, I don't know how anyone can judge any differently. Um, come on, six, six, 67 touchdowns to nine interceptions. I mean, it's, it, across the board, he's performed on the field better than Trevor Lawrence. If you give him, if you give him the same amount of attempts in his college career, he'd have more, you know, more passing yards, more touchdowns, more everything. I, I just, I just don't get why Justin Fields is getting the hate and he's falling down draft boards. Maybe you can enlighten me. I mean, it's definitely an interesting uh, discussion and you know, topic that's like you know really been. That's really been, you know, the main topic over the last several weeks uh, with the NFL. But, you know, it's weird. It's like, you know, you've seen him being as high as a third overall pick, and then now you've got mock drafts where they don't even think he's going to be drafted in the first round, you know. Um, but I'm just going to, like, I've, you know, I've developed my own scouting report for the top five quarterbacks, okay? Trevor Lawrence. Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. I had your boy in there. Settle down, all right. I didn't say who was the. I didn't say that was in order. I was just the five top quarterbacks that are the prospects coming in this draft. I think you could agree with me. Those are the top five names. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought I thought you were doing it in order. No. No. There's no order. There's no order. I'll give my order at the end. At the end of this. Okay. When it comes to Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence is probably among the most exceptional talents of the quarterback position to ever enter the NFL coming out of college. Um, he blends elite physical gifts with exceptional football IQ, leadership traits, and intangibles that make him the type of talent that would be the number one overall selection in almost any draft. Lawrence is accurate at the football to all levels of the field and brings a dynamic athletic profile to the table, which allows him to extend plays right off script and present a nightmare for opponents to defend. While Lawrence is a premier talent, he isn't. Wait, let me let me finish here. Let me finish. He isn't without room to grow, particularly in terms of consistency, working through progressions. With his three seasons of experience as a starter at Clemson, which include a playoff appearance every year, Lawrence, in my opinion, is equipped to take control of an NFL offense from day one and has the upside to become one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. He's a franchise quarterback, and in any scheme out there, he can fit and he can work. That's what makes him unique. Personally, for me, I think he's the best quarterback prospect that's been in the dra- like coming out to the draft since Andrew Luck. Switch out the name, just uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields for that scout report, and then it's exactly the same. The no, it's not. No, it's not. You described, you described Justin Fields. Okay. All right. No, no, it's not. Okay. So, so you know what? I'll, I'll give you my I'll give you my report right now on Justin Fields. All right. It's just so you can just shut your mouth for a little bit. All right. Justin Fields. All right. He's a big arm passer with the ability to make all the throws. I think we can all agree on that. Like he's shown that time and time after again at Ohio State. He's patient in the pocket. He keeps his eyes downfield and takes the safe underneath outlet if nothing else is available. He sells ball fakes, which is really important, remains poised under the rush, and buys as much time as necessary for receivers. He's also elusive. He keeps plays alive and easily gets outside the box to elude pass rushers and make the throw on the move. He possesses a next-level arm, puts speed on all of his throws, and loses nothing nothing passing on the move. 
He displays a sense of timing, drives the deep throw, and delivers some outstanding long passes. Throws the ball 50 yards plus with speed and spin, perfectly placing it in the receiver's hands. He's a legitimate threat with the ball, showing the ability to pick up yards with his legs. Tough and plays while he's injured. There's no argument denying that, okay? He is one of the most talented players. He's athletically one of the most raw talent guys in the quarterback position going into this draft. Mm-hmm. Can you agree with me on that? Yeah. Okay. What's the drawback? Okay. Well, he doesn't always find the center fielder, which results in interceptions. He's slow to process and at times slow pulling the trigger. Nine interceptions in his entire career. Wait, wait for it. Stop. Okay, stop now. All right. He stares down the primary target. Fields, for example, last year started off the 2020 season hot. I think we can all agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. But as the year out, year went on, however, Fields faced tougher competition, and his imperfections began to show. In the final three games of the regular season, Fields completed just 47 of 81 attempts, which is 58% for 613 yards, four touchdowns, and five interceptions. Ohio State did manage to survive the late season stretch without a loss, but his inconsistency hurt them at times. I think you could agree with me on that. Yes. I, 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 I can. I, I can. I, yeah, I can agree that he did. That he had those struggles. But when you when you're missing two two fifths of your offensive line because of COVID protocol, you know that can. That, that, Every that, team had that issue. Every team had that issue, Dan. Even Tre- Even Trevor Lawrence missed the Notre Dame game where they lost. Because no, of COVID. But, but what I'm, what I'm saying, you know, but what I'm saying, yeah, every every team lost players due to COVID. Yeah, but what, yeah, but the offensive line is the most important thing for QB success. I mean, that's that, that's the fact. And also, let's forget, let's not forget that um, Justin Fields didn't have J.K. Dobbins this season. I mean, Trey Sermon didn't come alive until those last those last two games before he got injured uh, against Alabama. You know, so, so he didn't have the luxury of being able to hand off to a guy, an explosive guy who can evade contact and, and get you a twenty-plus yard gain. You know, so when he lost those, those, you know, I mean, White Davis is probably one of the best, the best guard prospect in this draft. But lost him due to due to injury and uh, injury and COVID protocol. We lost Josh Myers, so we had Harry Miller snapping the ball at centre, going all over the place, over Justin Fields' head to, to his left. Um, I mean, that was an absolute crap show I can't remember who was getting Northwestern I can't remember who was against but you know that that impacts a quarterback's rhythm when he hasn't got the solid you know one of the top offensive lines in the country because they're missing two they're missing two important players in, in the interior the interior line that's going to affect QB's play so it's not the same as oh yeah every, every team had to deal with COVID and injury we're talking about an offensive line and a QB you know that's significant and that is, that's that's what he's going to have to do. De- he's going to have to deal with offensive line problems with any team in the NFL. Like they have that. Like there's not a lot of teams there that have a stout offensive line, with the exception of like. When he was used to it, when he was used to it in in college, having a strong offensive line where he was able to take his time with the ball, because that, that's one of the criticisms that he, he holds on to the ball too long. Well, he was able to in college because he had one of the most experienced, best offensive lines protecting him. You know, so he's able to look for the best, you know, for the best option. Um, and I think, you know, give him credit, he's going to know that he's got to get rid of the ball quicker, especially in his early seasons, because he's not, not necessarily, depending on who drafts him, he's not necessarily going to have that protection and he's going to have to use his legs a lot more. He's going to have to evade, 
you know, pass rushes and throw on the move, which we know he's great at doing. Um, so I, I don't think it's quite the same. I mean, when you can go into a, into a season preparing for the fact that you don't have the best offensive line in the country, um, you're going to adapt to your play that season. But when all of a sudden it's coming in the middle of a game, one of you guys has gone down, or you've only got a week to prepare for a game because one of you guys has got COVID and isn't able to play, you find out 48 hours before the Big Ten isn't going to let isn't going to let them play because they haven't cleared protocol, or whatever. Then it's a bit different. But um, I take your point. He did have those struggles, and you you know be a knock on him, and that might be why he's falling down draft boards. Okay, so 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 can I give him? I'll give him my verdict. All right, I haven't give the verdict yet of what I think. All right. And you could probably complain. You're probably going to cry about it, post on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, replying. I'm just responding to, to what you said and giving a bit of content. Okay. But, like, you can respond after I give the verdict here and tell me your thoughts on that. All right? From the point of view of physical skills, Justin Fields grades as highly as any quarterback in this draft and has the strongest arm of any of the top quarterbacks. He also struggles with his reads and is slow to process what's happening on the field, which is a major red flag. Fields absolutely has a starting potential at the next level and could lead a franchise, but he will need the right coach who will be able to match with the mental skills of his physical ability, where I think personally, like his best match would probably it'll be like something similar that the Cardinals have with Kyler Murray or the Ravens have with Lamar Jackson. Something in that sense. I think you could agree with me on that. Mm. Okay. And the problem is, there's not a lot of teams right now, like they're in the top of the board, that want that type of quarterback. That's the reason why he's falling. It's because they know that, like, he's more of a project. Like, they know, like, there's probably more upside on him in the long term, but to, for but there has to be a certain specific type of scheme for him to fit in order to bring out all of his best potential. And I think that's the reason why he's falling on these boards. And I think you could agree with me on that. I, I, no, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with you. Um, of course you don't. Of course I, don't, I don't think. I, I think a lot of the criticisms are fair. I think too much weight is being put on film from the 2020 season. So, 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 just, just explain, just explain to me what I just said. How, how was that unfair? Well, what you said about the read, he's not, he's, he's, he's not, a, he's not a one, he's not a one read guy. You know, he, he doesn't have any problem. I mean, you can see there's there's film all over YouTube that just proves that. I mean, it's what it's one of the common criticisms that's been that's been debunked. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know whether whether people are just looking at one. You know, one of those games where he struggled. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious when you watch him this past season. And, like, this past season's important to, like, no, you can't, like, keep on just, like, going back to the 2019 season and, like, say, like, that's, like, your, like, your stance on, like, why he's the best quarterback. That was two years ago, bro. Like, that's that's irrelevant. That's gone. That's in the past. Like, that's just nonsense. Okay, okay. Well, who, who opted out of the entire 2020 season. There's players opted out in every program in college football. That's not an excuse. So what are you talking about then? That's not an excuse. There's guys that didn't even play in 2020 who were still being talked up and projected as 2020 picks, uh, 2021 first round picks. Guys like Rashad Bateman uh, and, uh, and what? 
Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And that's the reason why guys like Trey Lance. Whoa, 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 like sell down. Just back up a little bit, okay? That's the reason why guys like Trey Lance, like that's the reason why they're not expected to be drafted as high as they would have been if they played this year. Because he didn't play this past season because the FCS season was the spring. And that really hurt his draft stock. So, like, I don't understand your argument. Like, this has affected players, like, everywhere, or they didn't. They opted out of last season to be healthy to get ready for the draft. Like, Jamar Chase is not going to be drafted as high as he would have been if he played. Like, that's just a fact. He's going to be you know, certainly, certainly, top, top eight, top ten on, on almost every mock draft that I've seen. Yeah, he is, but he probably would, but he would have been, a, but he would have been a top five, but he would have been a top. Well, that's also because Devontae Smith had a fantastic quarterback. Why is it that Justin Fields is being? Unfairly, unfairly scrutinized. I just told you. I literally just told you. I literally just told you. Because he struggled the teams like Indiana. He struggled the teams like Indiana. Dan, listen. Dan. Tell me anything. Dan. Dan. How is that not true? It's facts. What? No, it's not. It's facts that he struggled in the second half of the season last year. Nobody's arguing that. Like, this is a fundamental fact. I've given you very logical reasons. You didn't give. You didn't give. At the beginning of last season. At the beginning of last season. You didn't give any logical explanation. You just talked about how the, like. He had some struggles, but Trevor Lawrence struggled at the beginning of 2020. What? Nobody remembers that. What? Trevor Lawrence, uh, Trevor Lawrence struggled at the beginning of 2020, but that's just completely disregarded. It's not disregarded. It's not disregarded. No, it's not. You, you, haven't, you haven't even mentioned it. You haven't even, ta- you haven't even talked about the fact. Yeah, like he had struggles, but he's still like he's he's the locked number one pick. Like it's not even an argument. Like I don't know why are you arguing. Like he deserves not to be the number one pick. Like. No, but what I'm saying is there's absolutely no scrutiny of any other quarterback, not, certainly not negative scrutiny, of any other quarterback in this draft apart from Justin Fields, even though every oh other quarterback gosh. has holes. You look at Trey Lance, he's had one season. Here you go, just playing the victim card. And just... yet some people haven't been picked above Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence, you think, you think this guy could do no wrong, but he struggled against Syracuse. Yeah, and... But, yeah. And Justin Fields struggled against Northwestern. No, oh Northwestern. Oh, you mean who won? Who won? Who won that division? Uh, <laughs> they played like four games, Dan. Dan, like literally, they weren't even the top of their division because fucking Wisconsin. College. Wisconsin was literally they they had all their games canceled. Look at look at how they played against Duke. It's fifty five percent completion percentage, one hundred twenty eight passer rating. You know, he threw, he, threw, he threw a couple of, he threw a pick against Duke, you know. These are, these are not good teams. Yeah, and Northwestern's not a good football team either, Dan. No, but, no, but nobody, you're not, talk, you're not talking about it. You're not talking about Trevor Lawrence. You, 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 I, I, but you make excuses for Trevor Lawrence. Just I'm not making like excuses. To, just like I try to, uh, to explain and contextualize, you know, two or three games where Justin Fields struggled, you know, he didn't have his 
starting offensive line. He didn't have a running back like Travis Etienne, like Trevor Lawrence had. He didn't have his J.K. Dobbins. You know, so that goes a long way to to, to explaining why he. Had I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how you can argue. Whoa! I'm not finished. Although, although, let's not forget, I, I, it's very convenient for you to forget. Yeah, yeah he had these he had these tiny struggles for, for, for a game, a couple of games, game and a half, but he completely wiped the floor with Clemson, who top, top, four, top four team in the country, top three, top four team in the country, completely ripped their throats out, just like he did in 2019, um, when they were completely denied due to the umpires. They, they would uh, win uh, okay. against Clemson. All right. Thanks to the umpires. Right. It's the refs, uh, it's the refs not so, umpires. This isn't baseball. I know, I know. <laughs> refs. It's baseball on the back of the line. So, I, mean, I, I just think it, it's very biased that you'll talk about these two games that don't really matter, that Justin Fields had a few struggles. I mean, yeah, let's just, let's just excuse the fact. Let's just, let's just excuse the fact. Let's just excuse the fact that Trevor Lawrence threw a thousand more yards last season than Justin Fields did through less interceptions. Played more games. That's not his fault. It's not our. It's not. It's not Trevor Lawrence's fault. It's not Trevor Lawrence's fault that the Big Ten's incompetent. Justin Fields' fault either. Moron. Right. And if you're going to talk about Justin Fields' struggles again, you know, two or three game struggles, then bring up bring up Trevor Lawrence against Duke, against Syracuse. You know, and don't forget that. Justin Fields had those struggles, had that adversity where he didn't have his starting offensive line, didn't have a great running back, and then he goes into the CFP semifinal game against Clemson and completely destroys them. Yeah, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. Yeah, he did. He did. But Trevor Lawrence is also throwing. But, but Trevor Lawrence has Trevor Lawrence has thrown three thousand yards, over three thousand yards every single season. Even his freshman year, he threw thirty touchdowns. Like, how can you argue that he's not the best quarterback in this draft? He's consistently thrown three thousand yards or more every year. If you average out the attempt, the number of attempts between equally between Fields and Trevor Lawrence, those total yard stats would be pretty. Similar, and I'm not. And it's you know, if you, like you said, it's not. It's not Trevor Lawrence's fault that he that he was that, that he was throwing the ball more. And it's you know, it's not Justin Fields' fault that you know he had great running back like like J.K. Dobbins who you know ran, ran for 2,000 yards in, in, in 2019 that he was able to offload to, and that he didn't have the wide receivers until last season with Olave and Garrett who really broke out. He didn't have the wide receivers that Trevor Lawrence had in, in 2019, especially um, with uh, you know with Jamar, with Jamar Chase and uh, and others. So, so I, I get your point that Trevor Lawrence, you know, he, he has. He has the better stats, and it's not his fault that with you know that he was throwing, he was throwing, he was throwing more pass attempts, so he's accumulating these out. And Justin Fields wasn't throwing as many because you know we, we were using running backs more and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But if you just take a moment just to imagine that if Justin Fields had had the same pass a number of pass attempts throughout his career as Trevor Lawrence, based on his yards per attempt. Based on his accuracy, I don't know. I think it speaks more words and 
volume. Yeah. I think it speaks I'm more. Just, I think it speaks. We're talking about debate. We're debating, though. That's yes, yes, and I think it speaks in volumes that I think it speaks in volumes considering the fact that Justin Fields couldn't even beat out Jake Fromm at Georgia. So that's all I need to know. Well, that's, that's more. That's more on Kirby Smart than it is on Justin Fields. I don't know. I think. I think. It's, I think it's because. I think it's because Kirby Smart didn't want to like overchange his whole entire offensive philosophy for one player. Oh. Because he only fits in a few, he only fits in a few schemes. He only does. This is weak. This is weak. He's not a player that's used to change, and like when when there is change, rather than accepting it, rather than accepting, he went from having a running back that ran for two thousand yards to having a running back by committee with you know Master Teague and Trey Sermon weren't really that great most of the season. Trey Sermon just came alive. Brilliantly in the last two and a half games, and rather rather than accepting change, he just he just goes he just goes elsewhere. He just goes to another school. That's the big change for starters. And then Luke, uh, the season. That's a big change. That's a big way to adapt, and and he did it brilliantly. So. I mean, I, I, I take your point that there are reasons to have some reservations about, about Justin Fields, but not to the degree where you're having him slip outside the top three. Um, and all, all I'm, I'm just, to see I'm not, I'm not saying, Dan, I'm not saying that I don't agree with you. You make a lot of great points. And I agree. I think personally, the, like, Justin Fields is the most physically gifted quarterback out of all the five. But there's more to it. And the fact of the matter is, is that the NFL is a whole different game. There's not a lot of offenses that run the type of offense like this West Coast, kind of like air raid that like Fields is equipped to. And the problem is, though, is that he only fits in a few schemes. That's why he's falling down. Maybe maybe there will be teams, maybe the Jets or maybe the 49ers will just completely change their entire offensive philosophy and just focus on fields. I highly doubt it, but maybe they will. I could personally, I could personally see him play. In three years, we'll revisit this. We'll, in three seasons, we'll revisit this debate. We'll no, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. But I'm sure we will. But the top three quarterbacks that are going to be drafted is Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. That's what's happening. You can. I'm sure I'll. I'll wake up. I'll wake up tomorrow morning for your tweets being all you know hurt boy about it. But that's what's going to happen. Final segment of the show. Still talking about the NFL draft. Uh, with this segment, we're going to talk about our team's needs and who will be drafted. Uh, Dan, uh, we're going to first talk about maybe the Cleveland Browns. Uh, who do the Browns need, and who do you predict will be their top two draft picks? Um, you know, we need we need we need help on defense. Um, that's no. Uh, that's no secret. Um, we released Sheldon Richardson, uh, so we're a bit thin um, on the interior defensive line. Um, although you could make a you could make a, a case that we also need an edge rusher. I mean, Clowney's only been signed for one year. Um, he was very underwhelming, as you'll attest to, at Tennessee last season. Um, mm-hmm. Linebacker as well. We're thin a linebacker. There's a lot of inexperience. Um, is a possibility. Um, and also, uh, um, we have signed um, Troy Hill and John Johnson uh, third to four-year contracts, um, safety and cornerback, uh, uh, respectively. I think Greedy Williams might be on his way out as well. I think he might be done. 
Um, the cornerback Albert LSU, he missed the entire 2020 season due to nerve issues in his shoulder. Um, I don't think he'll play many more snaps for the Browns, so I think they'll be looking to draft a, a cornerback quite highly. It all depends on who's available at 26, because they also the Browns also have an issue when it comes to wide receiver, because when you get into next season, um, Guys like Odell Beckham and uh, Jarvis Landry, they become significant cap problems. You know, both earning over 16 million, um, and they don't—they won't account for a lot of dead cap space if they were to trade or to cut those guys. Um, I mean, Odell Beckham has been subject to trade rumors for, since he came to the Browns, it seems. So, I would look for them to possibly also draft a wide receiver, which is why I think if someone like Rashad Bateman is available at 26. I wouldn't hate that pick taken in the 26. However, I don't think he'll be available. So I would say it, it's a it's a toss up between maybe Zayvon Collins, uh, the linebacker out of Tulsa, or Caleb Farley if he's there, uh, the cornerback, or possibly uh, Quiddy Pay, the the edge uh, edge rusher out of Michigan. Um, it's hard for me to say because I don't know who's going to be there. So I'll say in the first round, our first pick at, at number 26 will be one of those. Uh, one of those guys I just mentioned, um, given the needs that we have. Uh, and then we pick at 59, uh, you wanted the top two picks. Um, so again, this comes down to who's available. Um, I think maybe Car- uh, Carlos Bastion Jr., um, the edge of Wake Forest, out of Wake Forest. So if we if we take uh, you know, a defensive tackle in the first round or a, or a cornerback uh, or a linebacker, we may go for him. Um, and possibly, if we haven't taken a defensive tackle in the first round, we'll certainly need to take one in the second round. So, uh, uh, Davion Dixon um, out of Iowa, he's a bit more developmental, so he's, he's not necessarily a, a plug-and-play guy, um, but he has a really high ceiling, so I, so I think he'd be an interesting bet for the Browns. But again, it, you know, it's who's available. But um, linebacker, uh, um, interior defensive line uh, are the three big issues. Um, and um, and yeah, I, I think that they'll be they'll be looking to address defense heavily in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. Um, it would definitely be good for y'all to have you know somebody paired up on that defensive line with Miles Garrett. Um, yeah. You know, Clowney's not going to cut it for you guys. Like I'm just telling you from personal experience, he won't. Um, the Titans are a little bit in the opposite opposite situation. Um, for me, like I think like the three primary positions like the Titans need is defensive backs, wide receiver, and offensive tackle. Um, you know, we got Malcolm Butler's leaving, Dory Jackson's gone, and we really need um, someone that could pair up well with Fulton. Um, I think he's going to break out this year, and. With Corey Davis leaving for the Titans as well, that kind of leaves that two and three spot, that slant position, um, open. Um, there's two there's two wide receivers that I like that I would be very happy if the Titans would uh, would draft. Uh, first would be Terrence Marshall Jr. from LSU. Um, he missed three games in 2019, and you know, with the loaded wide receiver corp that LSU had in 2019, he wasn't able to get as much playing time. But in the seven games in 2020 that he played, Marshall averaged more than 100 receiving yards per game and hauled in double-digit touchdown receptions for the second consecutive season. Uh, Marshall is a versatile receiver that has proven himself both from the slot and out wide while attacking all levels of the field with his consistency. 
He offers terrific size, physicality, hands, ball skills, run after catch ability, route running skills, and overall technical refinement or technical refinement. Marshall did miss three games in 2019 with a foot injury and had some minor drop issues creep up in the 2020 season and had, has had inconsistent moments as a blocker, but there isn't much in the way of notable concerns as he enters the next level. Uh, I think he has the potential to become a piece of an NFL off, uh, productive piece of the Titans offense and can produce in a variety of ways, whether if he plays in the slant or plays as the two or three guy uh, next to uh, A.J. Brown. And so, but if he's predicted, he's around the number 25, 26 best prospect in the draft. But if we are not able to get him, another guy to be a really huge fan of is Kadarius Tony from Florida. Uh, yeah. Tony's an electric slot receiver who's continued to prove every season in Gainesville. Uh, he's much more satisfying than his size indicates because he's electric with or without the ball in his grass. His ceiling as a route runner is a bit limited, but he was highly effective with the package that he was asked to run. Uh, Tony's presence has always felt whether or not he has the ball as he makes defenses account for him even when he's strict to, strictly a motion player. Uh, he can eventually become, I think, a starting wide receiver that can be used in multiple positions. But while at wide out, uh, a bulk of his reps will come in the slot. And that's the one thing that I think the Titans need to find a way is to fill up that slot uh, wide receiver position with Corey Davis leaving. Um, I felt personally Corey Davis is a little bit of like a disappointment considering he was a fifth overall pick. Um, but... I think with like you know with the right guys and you know I mean this offense like the like the Titans have is good like we're not in a situation where like we desperately need it but if we could get somebody like Tony or Marshall Jr. it could really help out AJ Brown as far as the defense focusing on him and we could potentially have another threat um, in that position. Um, for the second round, um, you know we only got just first round pick and a second round pick. Um, I like uh, Ifatu Melifonwu from Syracuse, a little defensive back. He's a long-ranging athletic physical, making him a toolsy prospect that's an ascending talent. Um, his best fit is a zone corner where his length, ball skills, and ability to read the backfield and leverage routes uh, shine. He's also an above-average run defender and can be re- relied upon to make tackles um, should his uh, 2020 campaign be the norm moving forward. Uh, he led the team for uh, Syracuse in tackles. Uh, he does have some appeal in press main coverage while his physicality, quick feet, and length are his, his assets. While his ball production in college was modest, it was pretty mediocre, he has the potential to be very disruptive at the catch point in the NFL. Uh, the most notable room for Melifonwu is to grow is in terms of his route anticipation skills and becoming a touch more consistent with coverage spacing. One of the things I noticed is that he loves to predict way too early, like maybe a second early on what the route is going to be. And so he tries to jump in first and that's a couple ways how he got beat uh, playing for the orange uh, the past couple years. Um, I'd understand like his idea that his best fit, the next level could be, could come at safety or even as a big nickel. That's somewhat of the pointless sub package defender, but I think he has the potential to develop into a terrific starter as he becomes more consistent and solidifies his technique. Um, I don't see us drafting a defensive back in the first round just because I really see either wide receiver or the offensive tackle uh, primaries, especially considering that Isaiah Wilson, who was our first round draft pick last year is already out of the league and didn't even play a single game. Um, But 
I think if we can get a solid DB in the second round, um, you know, Vrabel and his defense, I think we'll be able to develop him and develop that guy. And it could be pretty, pretty solid on the other side to help out that secondary and help out Fulton. And so, is there, has there been a, I don't know if you've been looking at like mock drafts from um it's mostly just wide receivers but i mean it it like it goes everywhere from like rashad bateman from minnesota to Marshall Jr. from LSU and Kendarius Tony, and we got the guy from Purdue that like that's in there as well. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but he was predicted as well. Uh, Rondell Moore. Yeah, Rondell Moore as well. So I mean, I'd be surprised if he went in the first round though, because he even though even though he's you know he's a dynamic player, a lot of teams be put off by the fact that he's he's five for eight. So I'd be surprised if he, if he, with how much wide receiver talent there already is in the first round, I'd be surprised if he if he jumped into the first round. Yeah, I mean, I think with him, just because his lack of size, it will probably have him go in the second round. And like you know, yeah. if if he is, I mean, if he's in later in those, you know, later in the second or third round, then you know, hell, why not? Yeah, like you know, pick him up. Yeah. But. I just think primarily the Titans need to get a wide receiver. They need to get a good one. Uh, I think Marshall Jr. would be good. Personally, I kind of like Tony more uh, just for that slot position because we really need to fill that up, especially if uh, Aiden Humphreys Humphreys being gone as well, who was another guy that played at slot. And so – but the good thing with the Titans is that we're in a situation where it's not needed. Like, it's not like immediately. Like, you know, we have time to develop him. We have some good wideouts. Still on the team, we have A.J. Brown, who's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Um, and so, like, we're in a good situation and, like, you know, in a good spot as far as an organization goes. And as much as a, I hate to say this, it's the same way for the Browns as well. So, but. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the much I've seen for the Browns, you know, it seems to be, you know, Zayvon Collins, uh, Caleb Farley, or, or Quiddy Pay. I mean, they make they make sense for, for the kind of players that we already know. Andrew Berry, who's, who's pretty new as the GM, like, likes to like the draft. I mean, you look at Collins; he's very versatile, dynamic, so he can play play the center, the safety position, um, and he's, he's good in coverage uh, as well as a pass rusher. So you could use him kind of all over the field. Um, Caleb Farley. I mean, he's been talked about as one of the best um, one of the best cornerbacks in the draft, and that's certainly an area of need. So I do think Rudy Williams is going to be um, going to be out um, for quite a lot for, for for this season. I don't think he's going to play another snap. Yeah. And then you look at um, Quiddy Pay. Um, it just depends. It just depends on the front office's attitude towards um, towards uh, the defensive end position. I mean, we do have Clowney to line up opposite Garrett, but it's only on a one-year deal, so it, be, it would allow someone like Pay to get playing time to be in the rotation but to also develop and ease kind of into a role rather than throwing straight in there and expecting results so I think that could be a really good fit um, but they may want to address other needs because they have Clowney for, the, for that one year to line up opposite Garrett they may they may want to address other needs in this draft or maybe get, a, get an edge rusher later so it's, it's, so it's, it's interesting I know a lot of a lot of, a lot of Browns fans are, are really excited for um, who we're going to take at 26 there probably be some disappointing people um, as well as some excited people, I don't know how how the feeling is among Tennessee fans. 
Like a wide receiver, or are there people who do want to kind of address other needs? Um, I think mostly primarily it's just wide receiver and maybe offensive tackle. But the thing with this off offense tackle class is that, you know, a lot of those, like they're not predicted to be draft. I mean, I think the, the highest draft offense tackle is going to be like a mid first rounder. I and mean, then after that drops down to like 53. Yeah, yeah. So like, and there's a couple ones out there. Like I particularly would love if the Titans got Trey Smith. Um, he's just got a great size as far as an offensive line goes. Um, you know, he's a freshman All-American at Tennessee as well. And so, and he's predicted to be a third, fourth rounder. So, I, you know, like offensive line is one of those positions where you can develop, if you have the right coaching, like you can develop them into being a solid, you know, contribution to your, you know, to your line. But, um no, but like you know, we'll uh, we'll have to see. Um, next week's show, we'll definitely talk about both the uh, seven picks that you know both the Titans and the Browns have. Our thoughts on that and how both organizations are going to move forward and what to expect. And I'm sure we're going to be talking plenty of baseball and you know even more college football news and next show as well. Uh, Dan, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you very much. It was it was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, not as as heated as it usually gets, but a little spiciness in there. A little spiciness in there. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you, man. And uh, thank you, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Cheers, man. Cheers, dude.